Hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm speaking with Greg Braden. New York Times best-selling author Greg Braden is internationally renowned as a pioneer in bridging science, spirituality and the real world. Since 1986, Greg has explored high mountain villages, remote monasteries and forgotten texts to merge their timeless secrets with the best science of today. His discoveries have led to 11 award-winning books published in 38 languages. Greg has received numerous honours for his work, including a 2015 nomination for the prestigious Templeton Award. He shared his presentations and trainings with the United Nations, Fortune 500 companies, the US military, and is now featured in media specials, airing in major networks throughout North and South America, Mexico and Europe. Greg, thank you so much for being here. Duncan, I'm thrilled to be here. It's our, our first time working together. I'm uh, The mystery is I don't know where we're going to go, and I'm excited to follow your lead in this dance that we're going to do together. We today. mentioned that. We said a second ago, it's like, this could go anywhere, and that, yeah. I think that's the way both of us like it. So I think this is going to be fun. There's so many. I mean, I, was, I mentioned just before we clip record, like I've been really delving in and just gorging on just so much of like your content that's out there, and it's... I mean, so many, so many fascinating things to talk about, like where even to start. But one thing that caught my attention was you said that every one of us in our own lives have to develop what you call a spiritual anchor or a soul compass. And this sure. has nothing to do with religion. What is a spiritual anchor and why is that so important? I'm going to back up about a half a step if, with your permission of course. and, and give, give some context. What we're talking about, uh, a spiritual anchor, it would be important at any time in our lives. But I think for our viewers, I'm just going to speak directly to the viewers. Viewers, if you're watching this today, I know that you know this is no ordinary time in the history of your nation, wherever nation, whatever nation you're in, or my nation, uh, or the world. And, and I want you to know it's not your imagination uh, that the best minds of our time are telling us now that we, we as a global community are living what's being called the time of extremes. And it doesn't mean that only bad things are happening or even good things, but it means that big things, big, big changes in the world, and that means big, big changes in our lives because we can no longer separate our everyday lives in our living room and in the workplace and our families. You can't separate that from what's happening on the other side of the planet. So the world is changing. Our lives are changing. And I, I think it's probably fair to say for most of us, uh, the changes that we're seeing right now. Uh, they're unlike anything we've seen in our lifetimes and certainly that our parents saw in theirs. And for most people, I think it's happening faster than we've been prepared to accept. Uh, it doesn't mean that's bad. It just means that we've got to tune our nervous system and our perceptions a little bit differently to embrace the rapid change that we're seeing in a single generation that normally unfolds over, over many generations. And what that means, the bottom line, is we've got to think and live differently perhaps more so now than we ever have in the past. And that, that is the context within, 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 uh, within which we're, we're going to talk about these, these spiritual anchors. Uh, and before I, I even go any further, I, I just made a big claim, and I just want to back it up just very, very quickly. When I say a time of extremes, uh, I'm a scientist. I'm a degree geologist. Uh, my background is in uh, math, physics, the life sciences, marine biology, and, and computer science. And it all works together to help me understand the world that, that we live in today. What is driving the changes? What makes now so very different from our parents' generation or theirs, or honestly, any time in the last 5,000 years of recorded human history? 
Something's happening now that hasn't happened for 5,000 years. Here's what it is. It's all about cycles, natural rhythms and cycles that drive the change in our world. So we're living the convergence of three huge cycles that are rarely talked about in mainstream media uh, together as three converging cycles. We talk about one or the other. They are the cycles. Number one, climate. We hear a lot about climate. Uh, as a geologist, I can tell you climate change is a fact. The facts of what we're being given driving the climate change, there's uh, some, some question around the validity of that. Matt, we could do a whole program on that. But, but the point is that climate change is a fact. That's enough to turn our world upside down in and of itself. But it's not alone. Economic cycles. We are living the close of a 66-year long economic cycle and the beginning of a new one. And if, if we don't know that, then when we see the, the volatility in global economics, and it doesn't mean just money. Economies aren't just about, they can be about money, but it's about people. And it's about how people work together and share the vital resources of food and water and energy and medicine that we need every day of our lives. Those cycles are changing. That's enough to turn the world upside down. And, and the third one is, is a cycle that is rarely talked about, but it is playing such a powerful role in our world today. And it is a cycle of human conflict. Uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who I know has been on this program recently, Bruce and I together were invited as a team uh, to give a presentation to the United Nations recently uh, about our view, our perspective of the world, the changes, the trends, the cycles to help those people prepare uh, to know where to put the resources, where to put the energy, what kinds of things to expect. And they, they ask us what what is driving the change? And I'm saying to you what I said to them right now. These cycles of human conflict, they ebb and they flow. They're 17.7 and 56-year-long cycles. They're nested cycles. And the reason I'm saying this is because we are living an uptick in the cycles of human conflict that peaks in the year 2020. Now, I'm going to be really clear about this. It doesn't mean that we must have conflict. We, it doesn't mean that we're driven to have conflict. It means that we are vulnerable. We are susceptible. Yeah. And, and it also means that we have the greatest opportunity for peace and cooperation. Because if we know where we are in the cycles, we can take the extra care to communicate clearly, whether it's with our spouse or our partner, our loved ones or our friends and our jobs, or at the United Nations, but between nations. It's happening on all levels of community. So it's happening in your personal relationships, in your personal lives. If we can take the time <clears throat> to communicate clearly, to go the extra step, to listen carefully to what other people are saying, to assure that we are being heard clearly, and to extend that olive branch the, um, uh, in, in the spirit of willingness to cooperate, that is the key. To, uh, to what this cycle of, of conflict is all about. The people are wondering what's driving it. It's all about our relationship to the sun. Solar cycles, magnetic fields in the sun affect magnetic fields of the earth and the human heart. And the bottom line is that the science tells us it, it influences in, in a, a very precise way when we are willing to cooperate and when we are more aggressive. Mm -hmm. So cycles of, of social change and human conflict are now being directly linked to these to these global cycles. So so now I'm saying this, we're living this convergence of these cycles, this time of extremes. <clears throat> it's only a problem, Duncan, if we don't know 
what's happening. If you don't know what's happening, it looks like the world's just going to hell. You feel helpless, don't you? Yeah, it does. My mom has a saying. She used to say that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't even really know exactly what that means, but I know (laughs) it, it it means it looks like things are falling apart at the seams for no apparent reason. But there is a reason. We are living a new normal. Uh, the volatile world that we see now is the normal for now, for this brief period of time. And if we can embrace that, and if we, my question, how can we be resilient to a changing world if we are not honest with ourselves about the changing world? Yeah. So I think the first step is, is to acknowledge that this is different. Uh, and we don't have a good guidebook. We're in a little bit of uncharted territory. So this is where personal knowledge comes in the better we know ourselves the better equipped we are to deal with the change so i'm but no i was gonna say one thing i was um i watched your um your um your episode that you did on gaia tv and you were speaking about um, some of these these themes and what was really interesting if, if you're hearing that for the first time and you're hearing okay cycles and this sun and this i mean i guess on the one hand you could think well that sounds that sounds what's that all about but what was fascinating is which you explained really well um is that you almost took um, a macro view and on terms of thousands and thousands of years of human history and actually looking at these graphs and right. it was crazy it was like they they were you had these you were showing graphs for different things but they almost perfectly matched and on the peaks and the troughs was when there was times of great peace on those times of great violence and you could almost plot things like you know the um iraqi kuwait war um 911 right. um um stuff in syria and, and it was literally on the peak of all these cycles you know and so i'm quite new to this i'm gonna be honest it's it's amazing to see this i mean the the arab spring happened Mm. precisely uh, on the peak of one of these cycles 9 11 happened on the peak uh one of these cycles the beginning of world war one and world war two and the end when they signed the the peace treaties happened exactly on these cycles so again i want to be really clear it's not that we are slaves to the cycles we're not we always have free will we always have choice but if we know where the rhythms and the tendencies are, and if we know where our vulnerabilities and our susceptibilities are, we are beings of nature. We are natural living systems and natural living beings, and, and we are integrally, integrally linked uh, to the systems of, of Mother Nature. And some of those systems we're very familiar with. Some of them are spoken about very rarely in uh, mainstream media and mainstream education in the West. Although behind the scenes, uh, scientists, I mean, hardcore scientists, peer-reviewed science, this is rock-solid science, they're very aware of these things. Yeah. It just isn't taught in, you know, in, in our classrooms, in our textbooks. So it leave, the, the consequence is it leaves us feeling vulnerable, feeling powerless, feeling helpless, as if the world is just changing for no reason and that we are being tossed around like, uh, you know, like leaves in the wind with with no control. It's, it's an intense and it's a brief period of time, a new normal of volatility. <clears throat> Once we understand who we are, then that volatility doesn't feel so threatening to us. It's only when we're immersed in change uh, and we feel like, uh, you know, everything is completely out of control. You know, we become accustomed to living in a world and doing things a certain way. And we say, okay, this is the way it is. And I've mastered my world. And when the world changes, people freak out because it, it, it leaves us feeling uncomfortable because we placed our power in the stability of the world around us. When in fact, our true mastery comes 
from knowing who we are, the stability within us. And these are, are where the, the spiritual anchors really come from. And this is where uh, I, I think science is important. Now, I want to be clear, science does not have all the answers. Science is only 300 years old. It's a, it's a relatively young way of, of thinking of, of the world and thinking of our lives. Uh, and science can tell us about relationships, our relationships to our own body and to the earth and to the past and to the future and one another. So you and I, Duncan, and our, our listeners, we are steeped in a scientific story about ourselves that is based in false information. We, for 150 years, since the 1850s, we, in the time of Charles Darwin, we have been steeped in a story that tells us that we are separate from our own bodies, essentially powerless to, to influence what happens within our own bodies. We're separate from one another. We're separate from the world. And here's the thing. We have been taught that the world, nature, the fundamental rule of nature is competition and conflict. This is the world we live on. Our economic system is based upon this. Uh, our corporate systems are based upon this. Our medical model is based upon this. The way we share food and medicine and water and vital resources, it's all based upon this conscious and now subconscious mm. thinking. So in the world that's changing, that thinking is no longer working. That's why the solutions of the past are failing us now. And the good news is we know what the new discoveries are telling us. The new discoveries, peer-reviewed science. And I know Bruce talks about this. So my dear spiritual brother, friend, and colleague, <laughs> Bruce and I, know each, we've known each other over, over 20, almost 25 years. We've toured the world together. Uh, we are actually uh, touring a lot of the world this year. We'll be in... Um, We'll be in Italy in 2017. We will be in, uh, you know, we'll be in some places in the States. We're gonna, I don't even know where we're going to be, but this is why we work together, because he is a life scientist. I'm an earth scientist, and we both have come to the same, arrived at the same conclusions uh, based on peer-reviewed science that tells us that we are connected, not separate. We're deeply connected to ourselves, to one another, to the earth, to the future, to the past, and nature is based upon this model of cooperation, not competition. So if we can begin to embrace these fundamental principles that are honest and truthful and factual, if we can base the decisions that we make on these principles, then we can let the old ideas that are no longer working, let them go, rather than trying to force those old ideas, those old solutions into a world today where they no longer fit. It is, it's a proverbial square peg in a round hole. It simply is not, it's not working. And, and we're seeing this in our social structures. We're seeing it in the economies. You, you're in the UK. You just went through Brexit. That is precisely <laughs> what we're talking. It's a perfect example. It was an old way of thinking uh, that is not working in the shifting economy of the world. So uh, the United States, we're going through similar changes. The way we deal with healthcare and our medical models, the, the, the way that we're dealing with social issues, the old ideas simply are no longer working. And, and one of the reasons they're not working is because it's the first time, Duncan, we have lived in a truly globalized world. Everything is global. Uh, the idea of, of borders, while they still exist in some respects, in many respects, borders no longer exist. We, we live in a, a world of global economies, global communication, global data sharing, global security, global sharing of, of, of vital resources. Uh, and global thinking and the Internet is a big part of that. So uh, I think it's it's good news. It's just different. It's just very, very different. Mm -hmm. 
So for me, we're at this, the, this sweet spot. It's what I call the sweet spot in the evolution of consciousness and the evolution of civilization. Because the, the really good news is that we already have, right now, we have all the solutions to all the big problems in the world, technologically. Where we are now, before we begin implementing them all over the world, in our everyday lives, we've got to find the, the moral compass. What's important to us? What is the value of human life? Uh, what is the value of human creativity? And do we put those things at risk in, uh, in exchange for a safe and, and a vital world? These are the kinds of, of decisions that we're making. Now, if you ever read the book 1984, George um, Orwell, George Orwell, and uh, you know, there was and there was a, uh, a couple of other books that came out right around the same time. And it was interesting because they all talked about a future where everything was perfect, but they went about getting to that perfection in different ways. In some ways, they honored the things that we value and the principles of life. And then other other books, they uh, they engineered those away. So there were some of those books where they talked about taking a shot every day to eliminate human emotion. And if you don't have any emotion there's no conflict, there's no jealousy, there's no war. It's a perfectly blissful life at the cost of our creativity, of our uniqueness, of the very things that we cherish as humans. I don't think we want to go that route. So we're choosing right now, what is it that's important to us? What do we value about human life? And for me, this all comes back to this blend of science and spirituality. So when, when I talk about spirituality, I want to be very clear. Spirituality existed long before religions ever came around. Spirituality is about us and our relationships to our own bodies, to one another, to the earth, to a greater power, to the cosmos. And religions came along later, and they wrapped rules and dogma around those fundamental spiritual principles. And, and the religions help people to feel separate from themselves, separate from one another, and God, and they asked us to judge. Many of the religions asked us to view the world through the lens of judgment and uh, and better than and uh, greater than. Yeah. Us and them. So, yeah, so that's why my work in, in the introduction, you mentioned since 1986, um, what you didn't mention is that I come from the corporate environment. Uh, as a degree geologist, uh, I worked in the 1970s. I worked in the first energy crisis that we had in, in our country. In the 1980s, I worked in the defense industry in, in the Cold War. In 1991, I was the first technical operations manager for Cisco Systems, developing the network that we're, that we're using right now. So I learned a lot from those, those corporations. And part of, of what I learned is that we are at this, this place, this very delicate place in this generation, where we have the abilities at our fingertips to pretty much do and engineer whatever we want. And the question is, because we can, does that mean that we should? Because, because we can tweak the DNA of, uh, of a living being in the womb of his or her mother before they're born, does that mean that we should to optimize the way they come out? We can. Should we do it? Uh, because we can uh, uh, spy on every iota of conversation between every device every, anywhere on the face of the earth. We can. Does it mean we should? These are the big questions that are up for us right now. So to answer those, it all comes back to the fundamental question, who am I and who are we? And once we answer those questions clearly, 
then I think the answer to these big questions become very obvious. Once the facts are clear, I think our choices become obvious. We're, so, and this is where this is where the spiritual anchors come in. So it's a long <laughs> answer and a context to, to get to where we're going right now. We, you, so, you mentioned about having sort of the solutions out there already, and like we are bombarded with so much information, we can find countless resources to either probably prove or disprove pretty much anything out there. And you've been yeah. in the trenches, like you said, from 1986, and so I'm sure you've <laughs> got a pretty good bullshit detector. Like, what are a few ideas or principles that are just sort of timeless in your opinion? When I say we already we already have the solutions, for example, when, when uh, Bruce Lipton and I were at the United Nations, we, we had this conversation. Uh, and let me just give you some examples. We already have all the food we need on this planet to feed every mouth of every child, every man, every woman on the face of the earth. There is no shortage of food. And the United Nations tells us we have food security for at least another half a century, barring an unforeseen event like an asteroid hitting the earth, you know, or a, a nuclear holocaust. We have the food. It's not the lack of food. It's the lack of the leadership that makes it a priority for that food to get to the people that need it. And I'm not saying it has to be American leadership or leadership from any nation. It's a way of thinking. It has yet to become a priority for us to say it is a priority uh, to, to get food to these people. That's one example. We, we have the technology, for example. Uh, to bring electricity into every home of every family on the face of the earth that wants it with zero greenhouse gases in a way that's sustainable, uh, that is uh, abundant uh, forms of, and we've had this for over 60 years without burning anything, without burning any fossil fuels. We've had that. We have economies. We already know how to build fair, sustainable, and equitable economies based on sharing and cooperation rather than scarcity and competition. And think about that. Mm. Our economic models, our corporate models are based on we've got something that you need. So you're we're going to charge you, you know, a price to to we're going to pay hostage to the stuff. Yeah. To get well, price it. So, and and I'm not saying that, that people don't make money. There is a way. And, and we have new economy. Uh, Uber, Uber and Lyft are perfect examples of, of a new economy that is based on cooperation and sharing where the same people that are offering the services are also using the services. It's a very, very different way of thinking. We now have the, the science that tells us every organ in the human body has the ability to heal it, itself and repair itself, even the organs we were told could not. Brain tissue, spinal cord tissue, heart tissue, pancreatic tissue. We already have this. So and these are just some of the examples because I wanted to share some examples. So when we when we hear that, the question is, if we've got this, where is it? You know, why are we seeing <laughs> it today? Yeah, and, and it brings us back to this fundamental question. The crisis, it's a crisis in thinking. How can we embrace new technology, new ideas in the beautiful new world that's already here? How can we embrace that if we are clinging to an idea of the normal that we knew five or ten years ago? That normal is gone. It no longer exists. So this is a fundamental shift in thinking. There's so many people that they're seeing the world changing and they're saying, if we can just hold on until things get back to normal, you know, if we change a few light bulbs and drive smaller cars, the climate's going to go back to normal where it was 10 years ago. Or if we pay down the, the global debt for the Europe and the Eurozone and, and the States and Australia, uh, then we're going to go back to the economy, uh, you know, the, the safe economy 15 years ago. We cannot go back to something that no longer exists. That world is gone. 
but it hasn't been acknowledged in mainstream. So we've never been given the opportunity to mourn the passing of the world that we knew in the past so we can let it go and make room for the beautiful new world that is already at our doorstep. And when I say mourn, it doesn't have to be a big outward you know, expression. It's simply the acknowledging that the world changed and we miss some of the things in the old world. It's okay. But it's in, in the acknowledgement that we begin the process where we make room for the new ideas. Because if, if we're clinging to those old ideas emotionally and psychically, there's no room for those new ways of thinking to, to come into play. So, so this is a, a fundamental... This is happening already. This is happening. This isn't a, it, like, it? you know, in the future. This is happening right now, right, right here. So do you think this is within, within what, a couple of generations? This is going to be the new norm? Or how, 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 how far through do you think we are? I think, I think it is this generation. This is the key. Uh, Duncan, generally, a big change happens. One generation is faced with a crisis. And they start to make some adjustments, and the next generation embraces a new way of living. We are doing something that's very rare, and it takes a very, very powerful being to do what we're doing right now. And that is, we have all embraced a world that we came to know. We felt that we mastered this world, certain ways of living, our jobs, our careers, what money means to us, what relationships and family, what nations mean to us, society, community, all those things— and it's like somebody just pulled the rug out from everything that we've known. Everything's up for grabs. It's all being redefined. But it's happening in the same generation where we had mastered the old ways of being. So in one generation, we are now living a new normal. Nobody, I wish they told us. Nobody told us. I wish there was a, a, a BBC special, you know, or a CNN special, you know, Flash, the world of the past no longer Headlines. exists. <laughs> you turn the yeah, news. But, but that, that never happens. So this is why, even more importantly, it all comes back to us. We, we're, we're finding ourselves in this place of, of volatility. Not bad. It's just a volatile world. And if we don't know who we are as people, as individuals, then we get lost in the change and the fear of not knowing where that change comes. If we've got a rock-solid understanding, when you ask the question, who am I? If we know who we are, then we're, our security is not hinged upon the world around us. We can watch that world change, and we can adapt to the new and beautiful world that's emerging because, because we know that we're okay. And this comes back, again, to secure this route, to, <laughs> to, to, to the spiritual anchors. And those spiritual anchors, it's all about relationships. So if you ask a scientist, <clears throat> who are we? A scientist, to answer that question, will say, I must first answer six sub-questions, six fundamental sub-questions. So here's what a scientist will ask. They'll ask, that beginning with a very fundamental question, what is the origin of life? Where does life come from in general? Where does human life come from is question number two. What is our relationship to our bodies? Number three. Where does our relationship to the world beyond our bodies, number four? Where does our relationship to the past, number five? Number six, where is the fundamental rule of nature? For 150 years, we in the Western world have been steeped in a story that answers those questions in a way we now know is false. And 
it's based upon separation, competition, and conflict. We've been told the origin of life is completely random. The origin of human life and is completely random, and evolution is our story. We've been told that we're essentially powerless when it comes to influencing the healing of our bodies. We have been told that we're essentially powerless when it comes to influencing the events of the world around us. When it comes to civilization, we're told that it began 5,000 years ago. We are the pinnacle of sophistication, uh, the, the most advanced that this planet has ever seen. And number six, the fundamental rule of nature, since the 1850s, we've been told that nature is based on survival of the strongest. Those are the exact words later interpreted as survival of the fittest. But in Charles Darwin's book, Survival of the Strongest, Competition and Conflict, every one of those peer-reviewed science has overturned every single one of those. And now we know, when we ask who are we, the origin of life, it's not random. The origin of human life, the new DNA, is showing us that there are intentional changes, splicing of genes, of, of chromosomes, uh, in our bodies that cannot be accounted for through evolution alone. It is not a random process. When it comes to our bodies, we're deeply connected. Thoughts, feelings, emotions, and beliefs in the heart and the brain change the chemistry in our bodies, and we get to choose the emotions that change the chemistry. Joe Dispenza talks about that. Bruce Lipton and Greg Braden, we, that's why we all work together. We talk about that. When it comes to the world beyond our bodies, quantum physics is now telling us there's, there's no controversy that we are connected. That is accepted in quantum physics now. We are connected to one another in our world. Here's the controversy. To what degree are we connected? How much influence do we really have in the world? That's, that's where scientists are struggling right now, but they, they acknowledge that we are connected. Civilization. When it comes to civilization, what we know now is new archaeological discoveries have pushed the dates for advanced technological civilizations back into the last ice age, over twice as old as what we're teaching our kids in school. We've been on this planet for a long time, and we know things from the past that can benefit us today. That's the value of looking at it. And last but not least, the best science of the 21st century is now telling us that nature is based upon a model of cooperation and what biologists call mutual aid, and it doesn't deny that competition happens. We've all seen it. But here's the thing. The more competition and the more conflict we see in the world around us, that tells us how far we have strayed from the truest, most fundamental law of, of nature that we are not honoring. We're going against the flow. We're fighting the tide when we choose to embrace this. So the spiritual anchors, who are we? We are very special, very precious beings there is an intentionality in our existence, and it, I'm not saying it's, it's a religious or creationism thing, but I'm saying we're not a pure accident of nature. Mm. Uh, and we could, we could do a whole program, and I'm actually writing a new book about that right now. We are deeply connected to our bodies, and we have the ability to influence our health and well-being consciously, at will, on demand, when we choose <clears throat> by embracing these relationships in uh, the heart, in the brain, and, and the ability of the emotions to trigger those, uh, to trigger those experiences. And, and civilization going back over, over 12,000 years, they knew this. So by studying what our ancestors left for us, they give us the insights from a spiritual perspective 
that science can now validate from a, a scientific perspective. And that tells us what works and what doesn't. And so there's a new model of healing. Now, Bruce talks about it. I talk about it. Joe Dispenza talks about it. And, and the whole idea of cooperation. 